With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at T-Mobile.com slash now. So in order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to pay attention to and hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that happen. And I would love to learn more about the audience. So go to PodSurvey, that's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y, PodSurvey.com slash James, and take a quick totally anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers and, and even content that you won't want to skip. So once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash James, J-A-M-E-S. Thanks for your help. Oh my God, so excited about this because Amy Morin, she doesn't know it, but she's my therapist. She is a professional therapist, but I had to fire my own personal therapist. So Amy doesn't realize it, but whenever she comes on my podcast or I go on her podcast, it's like I'm going into a therapy session. Of course, you know her as the author of 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. Sold millions of copies. She's been on my podcast like five or six times or more. And I'm really happy... This episode is her interviewing me from her podcast, and it's me having a therapy session. Here we go. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. On today's episode of Mentally Stronger. I talk to all these people who they talk about what they love doing, but they sort of just give up on it. Like maybe they loved fishing or playing golf or cooking or writing a novel or whatever, but they just felt like, ah, I got a mortgage. I got four kids. I got to have responsibilities. Friday night's my favorite TV show. I've got to watch that. And so they just sort of like give up and go into this routine. And I feel, I look back on my life and I feel that the things that kept me feeling young and creative and excited about the next day were not periods of success or periods of failure or exciting times in my life, but periods when I was in love with something and pursued it towards some end. Because I felt like there was a higher purpose to it, even if there, there wasn't. And I look back all through my life and I realized I was always on quests. Like King Arthur and his knights, they went famously on a quest for something called the Holy Grail. I don't think they ever found it, but they had adventures along the way. So a quest is like some amazing thing you want to do. You figure out what it takes, how you can take steps to get there. And you go on all these adventures along the way. And maybe you achieve the end of your quest, or maybe you don't and move on to something else. But I feel like doing that, pursuing something you love in that way with that kind of energy and passion is really an anti-aging and, and satisfying and creative strategy for life. What do you think? I think so too. Because I, as you were describing that, I was like, you know, I think I've had some. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, a psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. 
Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive into today's episode. When we talk about mental strength, we often talk about goals. Challenging yourself to do hard things helps you learn about yourself. And it also helps you see firsthand how your brain lies to you. It will tell you to quit long before you need to. Goals help us practice self-discipline, and they can help you figure out strategies to manage your emotions, like how to push yourself to get to work when you don't feel like it, and how to avoid temptation. But sometimes goals are only about the outcome. The idea is you'll enjoy life more or you'll feel better once you reach a goal. But the process of working on that goal isn't always fun. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked to New York Times bestselling author John Acuff about goals. And one of his strategies for reaching goals is to incorporate more fun into the process. I think that's vital. Today, I'm talking about something along the same lines, yet a little bit different. I'm talking about quests and how working on a quest, whether it's to ride the best roller coasters in the world or you have a quest to learn how to paint, all of those quests could help you build mental strength. Here to talk more about quests is my good friend, James Altucher. James is the best-selling author of several great books, including Choose Yourself and Skip the Line. He's also the host of an amazing podcast called The James Altucher Show. Forbes once called James the most interesting man in the world. Part of that is because he's always working on things which he calls quests. Some of the things he talks about today are how quests improve his life, examples of what constitutes a quest, and how a quest can contribute to personal growth and unexpected opportunities. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down James's mental strength building strategies and share how to apply them to your life. So here's James Altucher on how setting out on a quest could help you grow mentally stronger. James Altucher, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Amy Warren. Happy to be mentally stronger. I'm only mentally stronger <laughs> during the one hour, two hour period that I will be on this podcast. <laughs> Somehow I don't, I don't think that that's the case. Every time I talk to you, I, I feel like I get stronger just from your stories. I was on your show a little while back and we were talking, I think we started talking about your desire to uh, up your chess game. And we were talking about my strange desire to keep trying to run a faster mile. And out of that conversation, you mentioned quests. And yeah. I, I wanted to bring you on the show to talk more about like, what is a quest and why do you think we should have one? So maybe we should start with that. How do you define a quest? That's a great question. I've been thinking a lot about it because it's not a goal and I'll explain why. And it's not like a purpose and it's not like meaning, you know, like Victor Frankl has this beautiful book, Man's Search for Meaning. When And the concept there is, with meaning is you're going through some degree of suffering and the way to get through suffering and pain, and we all go through this, is to find meaning in life. And that's a very serious thing. And, you know, he was in Auschwitz and the way, and he, you know, his family was killed uh, and the way he sort of survived it was to cling to the thought that one day, A, he would see his wife again, which sadly he never did. And B, that one day he would write down his experiences of what happened to him in Auschwitz. And that gave his life enough meaning that he survived it. So that's meaning. And, and purpose is, you know, you think, oh, you're a great doctor or you have, you, you, as a kid, you love medicine and the health, the health field and you want, and you feel like your purpose is to be a doctor and save lives and move the frontier on brain surgery or whatever. And so that's, like purpose and purpose could change as your interests change. And the goal is like, okay, you might say when you're 25, before I own my first house, I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollar salary or something like that. That would be like a goal. And you have steps towards a goal. Like I'm going to get a job on wall street and blah, blah, blah. So there's all these different kind of journeys that people go on. 
But what about just an impossible journey that doesn't really have um, a clear, you know, life meaning? Like I was just talking to someone who has been in every country in the world. So that was his, he had, he had this, it's not really a goal, really. It's sort of a goal, but it's, it's just something like outrageous, but it's not a bad thing. It's not frivolous. His life improved by going to every single country in the world. Like he learned something about every country. He learned how to do the logistics of going to every single country. And he probably learned something about the people and cultures of all these countries, maybe picked up some languages. So it's not completely frivolous, but it seems like almost outrageous. And I talk to all these people who they talk about what they love doing, but they sort of just give up on it. Like maybe they loved fishing or playing golf or cooking or, you know, writing a novel or whatever, but they just felt like, ah, I got a mortgage. I got four kids. I got a, I have responsibilities. You know, I, Friday night's my favorite TV show. I've got to watch that. And so they just sort of like give up and go into this routine. And I feel, I look back on my life and I feel that the things that kept me feeling young and creative and excited about the next day were not periods of success or periods of failure or, you know, exciting times in my life, but periods when I was in love with something and, and pursued it towards, towards some end. And because I, because I felt like there was a higher purpose to it, even if there, there wasn't. So, you know, even, you know, like for about six years, I was obsessed with stand up comedy. And so my quest was to be a great stand up comedian. And I never became a great stand up comedian. Like maybe I was, I was adequate enough to tour around a bit. And I went to other countries even and did stand up comedy. And I got stage time all over New York City all the time. So, I achieved something, but it's not like I really became like a great comedian. And then I, and I was doing it six nights a week, but, but I did it and it changed my life and it taught me all sorts of new micro skills and, and it gave me a whole new subculture I was a part of and new friends and, and so on. And I look back all through my life and I realized I was always on quests. And, and again, like King Arthur and his knights, they want to famously on a quest for something called the Holy Grail. I don't think they ever found it, but they had adventures along the way. So quest is like some amazing thing you want to do and you have a, you figure out what it takes, how you can take steps to get there and you go on all these adventures along the way and maybe you achieve the, the end of your quest or maybe you don't and move on to something else. But I feel like doing that, pursuing something you love in that way with that kind of energy and passion is really an anti-aging and, and satisfying and creative strategy for life. What do you think? I think so too. Because I, as you were describing that, I was like, you know, I think I've had some quests too that just I started doing something and found it to be cool. Like when I was younger, my friend and I, when we were in high school, we neither of us had really been out of the state of Maine and we went on a trip to New York together and thought, this is really cool. So our quest was to spend the night in all 50 states. And so we took years, but like I would just go for a long weekend to a random state and explore it. And it turned into something really fun. And I've now been to 49. Alaska is the only one I haven't been to, but... I feel like you would have been to Alaska. For some reason, I could picture you in Alaska. <laughs> right? Like, and there's a whole story involved. My luggage made it. I didn't, this whole thing. But oh, no. and I, and I think there was part of me that just didn't want to finish it either. I didn't want to like be done with it. So I was like, no, that's okay. I don't need to go. But it was this amazing thing. And again, it didn't really have a purpose other than like, let's do this thing and it'll be fun. And, and let me ask you, like, what did you, like, what did you achieve? Like what, I, it's changed your life being in 49 or almost all 50 states. Even your luggage has been now in all 50 states. So right. what, what, what did it change in you? You know, I think I just learned about myself because I hadn't really traveled that much. So it was like, oh yeah, this is how so many different things work. But in every state, we would do something random. Like we went to the Mississippi State Fair or we would always find something like kind of a local thing to do or something that we wanted to learn about just to see like, well, how do people live when they're in this state and how, what's their culture about and like what might 
my life had been like had I been born here. And I think it was just that sort of a thing. I'm like, wow, this is really interesting to see how different people live, even in, inside the United States. I can't imagine the person who traveled to all the different countries to see what the rest of the world was like. But, but yeah, but it's interesting how you even describe it. Like what you learned is sort of almost ancillary to the quest itself. Like you didn't learn what the state flag of, you know, South Dakota looks like, but right. you, you, you thought all these different things that if you had done the alternative, which was, oh, I'm just going to stay home that day and watch, you know, The Sopranos, you wouldn't have had those thoughts. You wouldn't have wondered, boy, what's it like if I had, what would it have been like if I had grown up in South Dakota? Or how do I, is there a slightly different way I'm communicating with these people as opposed to other people? And it's fascinating, you know, country's 3,000 miles wide, and yet it's roughly one same culture. It's maybe the, the largest, the widest single culture in the world. And yet there are little subcultures in every state. Yeah, that was it exactly. And so when we were going around doing all these different things, just taking a look at, again, how different people live and what it was like to be in the city versus the country and all sorts of things like that. And then I think I learned a lot about myself. Like when we would have trouble, how do you ask for help? How do you yeah. strike up conversations with random people that you don't know anything about? And how can you... Uh, I don't know, get along in difficult situations because, of course, we ran into various challenges along the way. Yeah, and that's just it. You run into challenges along the way. It's a quest because you haven't achieved it yet. And so on the way towards achieving it, and you, and by the way, it's almost impossible. Like So so in your quest, it's almost impossible to go to all 50 states. Probably one one-hundredth of one percent of the U.S. tries to do that or even less. And... Uh, so you have so you're going to fail many times along the way whatever failure means in in this context and and you have to overcome and and develop skills new skills that you never would have had because of this and again it's not some like oh I'm going to save the planet or bring about world peace it's it's a very selfish goal like I'm going to go to every 50 state and I don't care what anyone thinks and by the way then you have to deal with the relationships in your life back home like you meet maybe you know a new guy, like maybe the guy who became your, your husband. And, and, and he's like, what are you doing? You're going to, you know, Wyoming for the weekend. And, and I, I am busy. I can't go. And you have to ma manage these relate personal relationships in different ways. And, and it's, I, but you wanted to do it. You loved doing it and it created adventures and excitement and, and then it's done and you move on to the, Next quest, perhaps, or maybe the quest changes your life in such a way that you have a you change careers. Like that's happened to me on quests is that I've changed careers because of them in some cases. And 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 again, these ancillary skills you learn. Like, you know, so one time, this was when I was in my twenties. Uh, I I I was always an early riser. Like I wake up very early and I go to sleep very early. And one time, I was out at three in the morning on a Wednesday night in New York City. And it was crowded. So I was on First Avenue in, in Houston. And it was kind of like, what, what are all these people doing outside? Of, what, don't they have to go to work the next day or school or, or be home with their family? Or what? why are they all out at three in the morning? And so it's just this random thing. I was basically kicked out of someone's house. So I had to be outside at three in the morning. And so, 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 the next day, an odd thing happened, which is that Comedy Central, the TV channel, asked me to do some consulting for them, software consulting. They wanted to build an, an intranet. This was in, 19, in the mid-90s. And they, they, they didn't know what the, the web was. And I said, I'm only going to do this consulting for you if you give me the 3 a.m. time slot and let me just interview random people at 3 in the morning in New York City. And it actually went, they said, we'll pay you money. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't want money. And I was, I didn't have any money. I just wanted to do the 3 a.m. time slot. And so this woman who was very nice, she said, okay, well, I'll, I'll bring it up to the CEO and we'll see. And so I went all the way up to Doug Herzog, who was the CEO of Comedy Central at the time. Later, he became CEO of MTV. And he said no, because they sell valuable infomercial time at that time, or they did. Oh. And, um, but I then was able to do it as part of HBO's website. And I did it for three years. Every Wednesday night for three years, I went out and interviewed like the craziest people at three in the morning, only on Wednesday nights, because that's when, you know, not Saturday night where everyone's out, but Wednesday night. 
And it changed my life. A, I became a good interviewer. I was very shy. So I had to learn how to go up to people and say, hey, can I ask you what you're doing? And it wasn't the nicest people at three in the morning. It's not like a guy or a woman going to work or something. It's, it's the opposite of what happens at three in the afternoon, happens at three in the morning. And I, I interviewed probably close to several thousand people during this period. And all like the dark under secrets of New York, I got to uncover and, and see that whole little culture. And that was a quest I had. Like what happens at three in the morning? That was a quest I had for three years. And it made me, um, for the first time, a published writer. It exposed me to the entertainment industry because then I um, shot it as a documentary. And uh, uh, it exposed me to people completely different from me and, um, and satisfied my curiosity as well. And I loved doing it. I just loved doing it. It was the best time of my life. And what made it come to an end? Uh, eventually, I got serious about having a business making web- websites for people because so many people saw that site and wanted me to do something similar for their sites. I, my company, which was called my first company, which was called Reset, we specialized in making websites for entertainment companies. So we did, you know, every movie studio, almost every like gangster rap record label. Uh, we did AmericanExpress.com, but like, and all, all sorts of movies like The Matrix, Scream. Um, we did all their websites. So, but, and I really didn't enjoy business. I enjoyed that 3 a.m. website uh, and really enjoyed it every Wednesday night. And I would bring friends of mine on the shoots with me. And it was just like a party every Wednesday night for me. <laughs> Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs. And I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house... I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. 
I've used ZipRecruiter, particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So besides some comedy and interviewing random strangers at 3 a.m., what other quests have you had? Well, like the one I'm on right now, which is, you know, I think I think in, in late 2020, I got a little depressed. There was a backlash, a real harsh backlash on an article I'd written. And I was having trouble. Um, I don't know. I was, I was just really disappointed in all the people who were lashing out at me, like friends, family, and and I don't know, I just kind of shut down off of social media and, and I would just go in my office and lock the door and, and I would start playing chess, which when I was a kid, I was a, played in tournaments. I was the New Jersey junior chess champion. I was a chess master. Um, and I started to wonder, like, can I, I hadn't played in 25 years in tournaments. Can I still be as good as I was then? Like things have changed. The, the chess world's changed. and I've changed and my brain's gotten older. Can I do it? And I and this is something I love. It was like my first love was playing chess as a kid. And and I was obsessed with it then. And so I started really training. And then I started playing in tournaments and I I talked to neurologists, I talked to sports coaches, sports psychologists, nutritionists, uh chess trainers. You've you one time I was on a chess training session and we couldn't figure out why I was getting some mental aspect of this wrong. So I said, let me call my friend Amy and you came on the, the chess training session uh, with, with Avatic. And uh, uh, so it's been, it's been a real quest in a lot of ways. Like I've literally traveled all over the world. I've had dinner with the best chess player in the world, Magnus Carlsen in, in, in Norway befriended Gary Kasparov, the former world chess champion. I've played in tournaments all over the world and, or visited tournaments all over the world. I write now for the, because of my success in other areas, when, when the premier chess magazine in the world heard I was doing this, they asked me to write a column for them, which is really awkward because it's all world champion level players who write for them and then me. So I'm, <laughs> and I'm really embarrassed about it. But then I was at this famous tournament in Amsterdam where it was just all these, it was about a dozen of the best players in the world. And then I was an observer to it. And this guy came up to me who was a legend in chess. He's one of the, he's been in like the top five, like since the nineties. And he said, oh my God, James Aldertra, I'm a big fan <laughs> of your chess articles. And I was for sure thinking that all of them hated me because I was like an imposter in, in the most important chess magazine in the world. But it's put me on this real intense quest to achieve something that no one's really achieved, to come back after 25 years and, and get back to the same level. Like I've done some statistics. Nobody has done this. And, um, and it's really hard, but I've had to learn all sorts of things about myself. I've had to ex experience you know, failure in a different way. And, um, and I've had to, and I've met, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people now. And, and also I've had to become kind of like in training. Like I don't, I had to watch my diet better. I completely stopped all drinking. I have to sleep, you know, eight or nine hours a day. Like I've really been training. Like I have to exercise a lot more. I've been training like an athlete to make sure I have the stamina that, that younger people do. So. So when it comes to chess, how is your, how is this one different than a goal? Do you not have like a, a end goal for this? Or are you just experimenting to see how far you can get? No, I think my end goal would be to, I mean, I probably wouldn't stop with this, but I do want to see if I can get back to the ranking I was before. 
So, but even exploring, like, what does that mean to be better than you were before? Like every sport, every game evolves over time. So you compare like the best tennis player now, for instance, to John McEnroe, who was the best tennis player in 1980. John McEnroe was a skinny little guy because there was weightlifting didn't have as much importance in tennis as it does now. And it's the same thing in chess, actually, even with the weightlifting part. But chess itself, the training in it has improved. So as an example, this guy, Peter Nielsen, who is the coach of the best player in the world, Magnus Carlsen, he said to me, maybe you are now better than you were, but the whole world has gotten Uh. much better. So you don't really know. And so this caused me to think about, you know, how we measure success in things. And, uh, you know, and also it's, it's funny, the, the whole younger people play chess now than played when I was younger. Uh, so that's, they have so much more stamina, like kids, and they study with computers. They grew up with computers. I didn't grow up with computers. So I had a different way of playing and I had to have to learn completely new things as if I had never played the game before. And so it's just, so it's, it's not just a goal though. It's a quest because I might not, it's okay for me to not succeed. Like just, it's not that the journey is the important part and the goal is not important. The goal is very important, but it's just what I'm learning along the way, like about myself and how I'm improving, how I'm becoming the kind of person who could achieve this quest that is beneficial in my life. I mean, I was, I was talking to Robert Greene. You know Robert Greene? He wrote 48 yeah. Laws of Power. And he keeps telling me like, oh my God, James, this would, should, is going to be such a great book when you write this. And I said to Robert, but you know, I'm kind of failing at it. Like I'm not, I'm not at that level that I thought I would be. And he's like, what are you talking about? You succeeded beyond so many expectations in this. Do you think you're 20 years old and you're, and you're trying to be 20 years old? That wasn't the goal to be 20 years old. The goal was to Try, not, a, not necessarily a goal, but you were trying to do something and it's how you've changed as a person and how you changed in terms of dedication and consistency and resilience, like all of these things he said, I want to hear about and experience what you went through. And, and everybody who loves something at a later age and pursues it wants to know, not necessarily that you succeeded, but just what happened along the way. And as this guy said, maybe I am better. I kind of think I am better than I was when I was younger. Oddly, I have played individual tournaments at a much higher level than when I was younger, but I've also played worse tournaments than I've ever played before. So my variance, this might be an age thing, my variance has gotten a lot bigger. And so that's why it's hard to tell. Interesting, right, that I never thought of that with chess, that you can't really tell if you are better. It's not like you can go back and play against 20-year-old James. Well, there's a ranking system. And so my rank is not, my rating is not as high as it was. And yet I've had what's called performance ratings, which are what's your rating for a specific tournament or period of time. I've had performance ratings much higher than I've ever had before, but also much lower than I've ever had before. So Sometimes I literally play like an old man. <laughs> like I'll just make a move that even when I just learned the rules, I never would have made. And it's so stupid I make now. But other times I play brilliant. So, And how will you decide when to be done? Like how'd you decide when to be done comedy? How do you think you'll decide? I didn't love it anymore. Okay. Yeah. Like at some point, I loved comedy. I was studying it like literally maybe five, six hours a day, and then going and performing it. So I'd watch comedians, I'd write, and it really improved my writing too. And and improved my public speaking. Like the skills you learn doing comedy is like public speaking times a hundred. It's it's incredible. And then all of a sudden it's like a switch flipped and I didn't I had no desire to do it anymore. Really? Okay. Yeah. And so if the if this quest with chess stops being fun, would you just do the same thing? Yeah, I would just stop. Yeah. But I just really love it. Right right now, every day I wake up and I love it. And, you know, I had, I had a quest, you know, the quest that changed, every quest has changed my life. But like in the early 90s, I had a quest. I wanted to be, I wanted to write a novel. 
And so I, I started getting obsessed. I wrote 3,000 words a day. I read every day. I really wanted to do it. And I, was, I wrote four novels. I wrote dozens of short stories. I sent them all out to get published. Probably got over 1,000 rejection letters. And I did this for like 10 years or maybe like six years before, before anything got published at all. And, and 10 years before I got paid to write anything. And sometimes, but I just loved it the whole time. Like I just love writing and it, and it became part of my life. And do you think most people are like that, that they'll fall in love with something for a little while and do it? Or you think you're an anomaly? Well, what it, you know, like you're on, we talked earlier, you're on a quest to uh, run a faster mile. Like, right. you know, do you think you're an anomaly? Um, you know, I don't know. Because I, like, I suspect most people probably could fall in love with random things too. And maybe just a lot of people don't do it, right? Maybe they don't experiment enough. They don't try. They don't think that they have time where they talk themselves out of it. That's what I'm going to guess. I think a lot of people talk themselves out of it. Like, let's say every time you cook, like let's say some, let's say you rarely cook, but when you do cook, you just love it. You just think, oh my God, this is so much fun. And I love feeding people and seeing the reactions on their faces. And, you know, you could think to yourself, oh, I'd like to be a great chef or, or just get better at it and learn maybe a bunch of different cuisines or learn how to make sushi or whatever. And you don't have to be obsessive, but it still could be very life-fulfilling to, to pursue it. Or, or, for instance, one time I bought a lot of, um, this is a random thing, I bought in, a, in an auction a lot of forged artworks. So I have artwork hanging all over my house right now where there's like a Picasso, Andy Warhol, uh, Salvador Dali, uh, Jackson Pollock. And you would think, I mean, there's a, these are excellent forgeries. Like they're signed by the artist and it couldn't be the case that a single artist did all I, There's a Banksy. I have like a British stop sign with Banksy-like stuff on it. And I don't even know for sure if they're all forgeries, but I'm assuming they are because I got them for nothing. And... uh but like exploring this, like wondering if these are forgeries or not, it for, like I really dived into the history of what was going on in the period of each artist and why, why did they do this? Why did they do that? And so having like even a small, small quest, like that was like a mini quest and you learn so much about history and life and excellence and the pursuit of excellence and, you know, and all that ties into success in whatever your career is and, and so on. And, and I just think being excited about things does keep you young. Because, okay, what if I didn't play in, what if I didn't have these chess training sessions every week and talk to these sports coaches and, and you and, and nutritionists and travel the world meeting these amazing people to learn more about what I'm trying to achieve in this quest? What if I didn't do that? What if I just stayed home and watched TV? That's fine too. No judging that. And, you know, my kids are older. I could, I could do a little more of these things. But uh, I, think my, I think my life is richer for it, for, for having these conversations with people and, and really putting myself out there. It's not pleasant to, um, you know, the last tournament I played in, it's it's called the U.S. Masters, so Masters only. And um, because I want because I was ranked a master when I was younger. Once a master, always a master in terms of the rating system. And so I'm playing in the U.S. Masters, but I was the weakest player in the whole tournament. And I amazingly, it was very possible. I told Avatik, my coach, it's possible for me to lose all nine games. And he said, "Don't say that. That's negative mindset." And so I've been learning a lot more about mindset, by the way, and trying to train my mindset to be a little more positive. But amazingly, I won the first game against a strong professional player, stronger than any player I'd ever beaten when I was younger. And then the second round, I had to play the 14-year-old Alice Lee, who's the most amazing prodigy in the US right now. She's 14 years old, but looks like she's nine. And she's really strong rated. Like She might be as strong as Avatik right now. And I had a good game. I was, I was doing better and I was proud of the decisions I was making. And then, and she was almost looking bored. Like, I think her whole plan was she just knew, 
okay, he has a good game now, but eventually he's not going to, he's just going to make some mistake and I'm going to win, which is what happened. And, <laughs> and there's a picture of me that a guy, a professional photographer took where it looks like I'm practically crying and she's just sitting there looking as bored as possible. And, you know, it's just, why, why do I put myself through that? It was very painful to lose to a 14-year-old kid. <laughs> but, you know, again, you learn, you learn about yourself. You, it's a safe way to practice failure and defeat and, and strategy and, and confidence and mindset. And, you know, it's safe. My life is not over if I lose that game. I don't lose money if I lose that game. I, I can still support my family and, and, you know, live my life the next day. Um, but at the moment, it's very depressing when, when that happens. Yeah, that's an interesting point, though, is if you're going to have a quest to make it something where, like, there's not something huge at stake, right? You're not going to do something where if it doesn't go well, then life is ruined. But if it's just for fun and it's just a matter of saying, you know, I'm going to try this and experiment and see if it works. And if it's fun, I'll keep going. In fact, the last time I talked to you, we were talking about why, like, why don't you just hire a trainer, Amy, to teach you how to run a six-minute mile? Like, you're close, but if you hired somebody who could probably tweak something. And I was really thinking about that afterward because I'm really resistant to hiring somebody. And I think it's because it wouldn't be fun anymore. Like, I'm, like I feel like I can run a six-minute mile and it's just a, a matter of tweaking something probably mentally. And since I'm supposed to be the mental strength person, I'm like, all right, there's got to be some mindset tricks or something. And I'm afraid of it not being fun anymore. So that's why I don't want to hire a coach and I don't want to like do training. I don't think you're training. afraid of it not being fun because let me just address that for a second. Then I'll all address right. why I really think you're not hiring a trainer. Okay, all right. Because I think you just revealed it. But I, I think it would be fun because... Um, a, you would do it. So, I mean, yeah. once you had a trainer, you would, uh, a trainer would really improve you. Like a coach is essential for every sport and athletic activity and game and, and any discipline, mathematics, a, a teacher is needed, a professor is needed. Um, very few people can, let's say, get to PhD level by themselves in, a, in an intellectual discipline. That's not totally true, but it's that basic idea. And also, I think a teacher would tell you things about running. Like you're, you're, how, long, how long in your life have you been a runner? Um, I'd say four years at this point. Right, so a teacher would say individual sentences about running and you'd be like, oh my gosh, I never thought that about running or the body or whatever. They would say something that there's some subtleties about running that they know about, which is why they teach it. They know things, there's a gap between what you're, knowledge is about running and what their knowledge is. So they would teach you things. They would say like, you know, the most important bone is the wrist. <laughs> and you would think like, what the heck? Why would it be the wrist? And I'm just making this up. I'm not, right. it's probably not. The wrist. <laughs> but, but you would learn something that would be amazing. And, and, and you would learn these subtleties that would deepen your love and respect for running. So when you watch other people run, you would notice, oh yeah, that's what my teacher was saying. That's what that person is doing. You would see new things. Like if I just look at a painting and I don't know anything about art history, I have a different experience than someone who is immersed in art history and sees all the subtleties. They can have a deeper appreciation of a piece of art or a piece of music or anything. Like, like my dad was a music composer. And when he listened to music, I, it's like classical music was boring to me. And he would listen and he would try to explain to me, this is the sonata structure and Da, 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 this, this, this. And so there's all these subtleties that he was able to appreciate. So I think you would enjoy it more with a teacher because you would have a deeper appreciation for this thing you love doing. But the reason I think you don't do it is because like what you said, you're supposed to be the mental strength person. So it's, you're really not on a quest to achieve this mile but to a, in a certain speed, but to achieve it using mentally, you know, Amy Morin's mentally stronger techniques. <laughs> Right, right. So far, I'm close, but I'm not quite there. Which is the beauty of a quest. They always got close to the Holy Grail, but they never got it. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. 
And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs HIMS. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now. And I think part of that is just that, like, you know, I don't really care if I never run a six, my life will never change, whether I run a five and a half minute mile or 10 minute mile, like life's still the same. But you want to do it. It's not like you're not trying to do it. You do want to do it. Yeah, like it would be cool to do it. But like every day I'm done work, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go run as fast as I can. Then I'm done with my, done with it. And I think, eh, you know, not today, maybe tomorrow. And I like that. And people are like, why would anybody like to just go run as fast as you can? For whatever reason, like I loved it when I was a little kid. We have like video of me when I was four and I'd like make my mom time me. I'd run like a lap around the house and make her time me. So I've been doing this since I was a little kid. I didn't run for most of my life and time myself in adulthood. But then when I did, I was like, I just want to see if I can do it faster than I could when I was like 13 or 14, which started as the original goal. And it's kind of grown over time, but. Wait, so you almost feel like you're cheating if you have a trainer. You I think so. Right. So I just, I guess for me, I think it would take, like, I get that I would learn about it, but I also think it would take some of the fun out of it. Like, I don't want to spend eight hours doing hill sprints on a Saturday or anything. I'm just like, eh, at the end of the day, I just want to run as fast as I can and check the watch today. And see, part of the reason I like having a trainer is A, when I was younger, I had a trainer. And so I'm just repeating what I did then. But also in my last book, Skip the Line, I wrote about when you want to learn something, you get a plus minus equal. So a plus is someone better than you, a trainer or coach to teach you, equals people who are at your level that you share your experiences with and you learn from each other, and a minus, someone you can teach. So all these things, and the reason you want to teach someone is because you don't fully understand something unless you can explain it simply. And so all these things I put into place as soon as I decided, okay, I'm going to get back to this level of chess. I, I got myself plus minus equals. And, um, and pluses in various levels, like again, not just chess coaches, but other types of coaches. And so for me, it's a different, it's a different type of quest. Your quest is specifically to do it with your own mental strength and your own raw abilities like you did when you were 13. So, so, you know, that's like these quests could be like informally structured and, but it's just, it's something that makes us happy and it's something that we have to become at some point a better person, a, a better version of ourselves to achieve the quest. 
or or as part of that process, you know, it's at some, you know, if you regularly start running that faster mile, something has moved up in your in your health probably or in the way you do things, and uh, yeah, and you learn from the experience. So there's all these there's all these benefits, and I do think it's exciting. Like if you if you were to run a faster mile, you would be very happy about it. Right, right. And then I'd probably move the bar, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or change, the, have a different quest. Right. So how do you suggest people find it? If somebody's like, you know, I don't really know what my quest would be. How can people figure out what, what to make their quest? It's really interesting because I think it happens a lot by accident. Like I didn't play chess for 25 years. Why didn't I do it at any time then? Or I didn't do stand-up comedy the first 40 years of my life. Why did suddenly at 40, whatever, I start doing it? Um, I think it kind of happens. I think we collect over time all these things that we say, you know, I'd like to try that. And then we forget about it. And, or, you know, or, ah, uh, you know, I always, when I was eight years old, I always loved basketball. I wonder if, you know, I, I don't even pay attention anymore. Maybe I should do a fantasy based basketball league or whatever. Like, there's all these things that we collect in our heads, the things that we might want to do or could do or maybe we would want to do. And so, one idea is to, I'll give a couple ideas. One idea is list all of the things, like every year of your life, what were you fascinated by? So when you were six years old, did you love reading about astronauts? When you were seven, did you love superheroes? When you were eight, did you love sewing or painting or whatever? Just list them and see if anything kind of rings a bell now or, or just try it now and see how you feel about it or go to like a class or a club or whatever, or meet up where everybody's, you know, sewing or just see how it feels. And the other, another idea is go to the bookstore and just find, just walk around. And is there any section where you stop and you suddenly want to read all of the books in that section? Like, let's say it's the World War II. Do you want to read all the books in the World War II history section? And it just fascinates you. Well, then. Just do it and maybe write your own alternative timeline of World War II. Like what could have happened? Like there's with any one subject, there's millions of types of quests within that subject that you could do. Um, you know, like for instance, I mentioned basketball. Okay, no, if you're 50 years old, you're not gonna be a professional basketball player or even be close to how good you were when you were 20. But maybe you can be the best at fantasy baseball, or maybe you can be the best at, you know, writing articles about basketball or coach like Joe um I'm forgetting his name he, he was the CEO of Ameritrade he's been on my podcast so this guy was the CEO of Ameritrade you know CEO of banks and billion dollar companies for 40 years and then he quit and what did he do he became an assistant coach i think of the University mm -hmm. of Nevada football team for free he offered to do it for free and then he learned and he rose up and eventually he became coach of the East Carolina Panthers or in some like minor league of football. And then he, he was a professional coach for a while and then retired from that. And, you know, all of a sudden, he played football when he was a kid, but all of a sudden he had this obsessive urge and he had the money and the security and, and whatever to quit his job and, and volunteer to be an assistant coach. But he, this was his dream. He pursued it. Other people might quit and start a food truck and they, they don't want to do a whole restaurant. But a food truck allows them to have that restaurant kind of feeling. So there's always ways, given a subject, to pursue it. You could be a gambler and pursue basketball that way. Or there's, there's thousands of different ways. So, you know, I could have built a, some kind of chess-related business or wrote, written articles about chess or something instead. But instead, I wanted to, to see if I could play again. And... I don't know. And then, you know, I was thinking a third way. A lot of times I read something and whatever it is, the storytelling is good and it matches some deep, you know, hidden desire inside myself that I become obsessed. Like I didn't start day trading until I read a book about day traders. And I was like, wow, this like combines my interest in investing and computers. And games, because day trading is essentially a game. And uh, 
Uh, and then, I, then unfortunately, for about eight years, I became a day trader, and it was the worst eight years of my life. But, <laughs> but that was a quest. So, uh, you know, all anything can trigger that. That like, or you watch a TV show that was about pilots, and you're like, wow, I'm going to take pilot lessons. And then, you know, you become a on a quest to get higher and higher certifications in piloting. And then, and you know, I've, I don't even drive a car, and I've had pilot lessons and, and considered becoming a pilot. But fortunately, I don't even drive a car, so it's probably best I don't do that. <laughs> but, you know, I think you're right. I think if we all had quests that we were working on, again, whether it's like, I just want to paint one painting a month or I want to keep painting stuff until I sell something on my online store or whatever somebody develops. Like, I don't know if there's research on how good that is for our mental health, but I can only imagine that it's got to be great for people to have something to do that doesn't really have a, a clear purpose of like, I'm doing this just to earn X amount of dollars or I'm doing this to better the world. Instead, it's something that I love to do and I, I'm going to allow myself to do it. And by the way, it might turn into something you make millions of dollars with. You just right. never know. Um, right. But like, and you could have mini quests. Like, did I ever tell you this story, my Greenland story? <laughs> Oh, I know the, I think I know the Greenland story. <laughs> so like one time I was hanging out on Twitter, like one does. And Donald Trump, when this is when he was president, he tweets out, uh, I want to buy Greenland. Just tweets out, I want to buy Greenland. I'm like, what, what the heck? And then the prime minister of Denmark responds and says it's not for sale. And these two tweets like literally drove me insane. <laughs> like you can offer to buy a country just on Twitter like that. And what does Denmark have to do with Greenland? It turns out Denmark owns Greenland and they just did an entire mini negotiation right there on Twitter, like where Denmark said no and Trump couldn't buy Greenland. So I started looking into this <laughs> and I'm like, there's a reason you would want to buy Gre Greenland, by the way, is the if it was its own country, which I always thought it was, it would be the highest um, suicide rate country in the world. And there's a lot of problems with alcoholism there, and people are cold and lonely there. But Greenland, after China, is the biggest source of rare earth minerals. And and there's a company, even like Green Earth, uh, sorry, Greenland Minerals Company, and it's owned by China. So Denmark has basically sold all these mineral rights to China for the rare earth minerals in Greenland. So that's why Trump wanted to buy it for America so he didn't have to depend on China. And so I figured, you know what? I want to do an experiment. And this is like a mini quest. I started a, a Kickstarter to raise $100 million to buy Greenland. And actually, it ended up being an Indiegogo. Kickstarter rejected me uh, or a GoFundMe, one of those. And, you know, I offered like, oh, you could be a Duke if you give like $1,000. You could have a holiday named after you if you give so much. You could have some thousand acres if you give so much. And, uh, and I started, and, and it, was, it was an experiment. A, I had never used any of these crowdfunding platforms before. So it was an, I learned about that. And then it was also an experiment in, in writing. Like, you know, writing it's usually one or two formats. You write in the third person or the first person, some very rarely the second person. Sometimes people write articles in the form of letters back and forth to people. Um, it's called the epistolary style. So there's all these kind of points of view you can write from. Well, I, I wanted to write an article as if I was doing a crowdfunding <laughs> campaign about the subject of the article. So I'm basically able to describe this whole scenario with Greenland, like why someone would want to buy it by writing in the form of doing a crowdfunding. And then so many people were actually donating money to this that GoFundMe or Indiegogo, whoever it was, they shut me down because they knew I was just joking around and they didn't want to have to pay all the credit card fees once they returned all the money. So, um, but that was like a mini quest. Can I buy Greenland? I remember that because I remember yeah. seeing that going around social media and I was like, oh, what is James up to now? <laughs> yeah, and, and I learned so much about it. It took a weekend. It was a weekend long quest. It wasn't like this thing now that I'm in that's years or, you know, whatever. And at the very least, I learned all about crowdfunding. Not all, but I learned about crowdfunding. I experimented with another style of writing. I learned all about Greenland to the point where I still want to visit there. 
And I have a story to tell. So that's right. like the minimum benefits of a weekend-long quest. And a longer quest, there's so many more benefits. It's ridiculous. So I like that. So if we don't want to spend the next four years working on a quest, just take a weekend and you can probably test something out or see how it works. Yeah, like if you want to do, if you always wanted to do stand-up comedy, it's really hard to do it that first time because it's scary. Everybody is scared. I saw a little documentary where Will Smith wanted to do stand-up comedy. This guy has been a performer all his life. Not only just an actor where, you know, you read lines written by other people, but he's a musician. He was a rapper. And, you know, that was his start was as an entertainer. But he was scared to death of doing stand-up comedy. He was terrified. And Dave Chappelle was his coach. He got Dave Chappelle to coach him on how to do it. And he did it. And he did a pretty good job. And, uh, but that was just a, that was his quest for one time, like a, a, a mini quest. I love that. Great idea. Yeah. So I, I think skip the line will help people also figure out more about your micro skill idea and, and things like that. And we'll link to your podcast in the show notes because everybody should go listen to the James Altucher show. Any place else we should send people so they can learn more about you and your work? Uh, no, that's good. Yeah. They, um, Eventually, I'll write about this. And the, the funny thing is, I don't know whether to write about this in the form of like, okay, this is my chess journey or really make it like this bigger thing about quests. I'm feeling like the bigger thing about quests is better, but I almost don't want to do another choose yourself kind of book. I really want this to be more story-driven. That one was story-driven too, but this one's even more story-driven. Well, you know, I guess whichever one you do, I look forward to reading about it. And I, as long as you share the story of how this is all going with chess so we can follow along. That will be fun. <laughs> Do you think there's a book there if I never achieve the rating I want to achieve? Yeah, yeah, definitely, right? Because I think sometimes we want to be like, how do you feel about never getting there? And if you don't ever get there, like, are you really okay with that? Or when did you decide to throw in the towel and say, all right, enough's enough? I think all of that would be make for an interesting book. What's really interesting is how much the brain has changed since I was younger. And people say, oh no, that's just a mindset thing. But it really is like, memory is not as good. Your raw, like fast intelligence, like your ability to think quickly is evaporated. And you have to, have to actually learn the subtleties in order to be better now. I have to learn why certain moves were made. Before I would just make the moves. Now I have to learn why. and. That's been the hard part for me in this. And it's interesting. Well, we appreciate that you're going to share the story so we can all learn from it. James Altucher, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. Thank you for having me. And I feel mentally stronger always when I talk to you, Amy. So thank you so much. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Welcome to The Therapist Take. Let's break down James's mental strength building strategies. Here are three of my favorite strategies that he shared. Number one, Create your own quest. When thinking about a quest, you might imagine something that involves a lifelong journey. But James switches quests whenever he wants, from anything like comedy to chess. And you can always develop a mini quest too. Like in his case, it was trying to buy a foreign country one weekend. But I hear from so many listeners and readers who say they're kind of bored with life. So I think this could be a great solution. You can feel like you're still growing and learning and doing something fun without all of the pressure that you might feel when your sole purpose is to do something that involves earning money or when you're so focused on the outcome that you forget to enjoy the process. Number two, pay attention to what you're learning along the way. James talks about how his skills from one area of his life translate to other areas, something that's really tough to recognize sometimes. But when you step back and think about what you're learning, it might become clear how your quest is helping you in what seems like a completely unrelated area of your life. Learning the art of Chinese cooking might also teach you to be more patient with your kids. Or setting out on a quest to learn about your family history could help you become better at asking questions, which might help you ask better questions at work so that you can do your job better. Connecting some of those dots can give you confidence and help you feel better about your quest. And number three, 
change your quests as needed. So the pressure's off because you don't necessarily need a lifelong quest. Shift it as needed. James says he stops doing a quest once it's no longer fun, and then he finds another one. So don't feel like you need to stick with your quest forever or that you need to decide on a single thing that you're gonna keep doing year after year. I love the idea of exploring with a bunch of different things to see what you love or to discover what you might wanna do. And every time I talk to James, I just get inspired to try new things. So I guess my task now is to probably come up with another quest in my own life. So those are three of James's strategies that I highly recommend. Create your quest, pay attention to what you're learning along the way, and change quests as often as needed. If you want to hear more from James, check out his podcast, The James Altucher Show. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to the Mentally Stronger podcast. If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. That's one of the best ways to help us get our show in front of other people so we can make the world a stronger place. If you want more tips on building mental strength, subscribe to Mentally Stronger Premium. You'll get weekly bonus episodes and exclusive extras for being a premium subscriber. Sign up at mentallystronger.supercast.com or just click on the link in the show notes. And if you know somebody who could benefit from learning more about mental strength, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, whose quest seems to involve making things possible that once seemed impossible, Nick Valentine.